This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Yes, it is the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Please take a few minutes to write me a review let me know what you think of the show what you like what you don't like i want to know how to make this show better for each and every one of you met fans out there so by going on apple Podcasts and leaving me a review rating the show you could give it up to five stars that would be best if you do give it five stars you can help this show grow and become better and better each and every week before we get started with this week's episode i wanted to thank Jake Brown again for being my guest last week. Jake is the executive producer for sports podcasts at the New York Post, and one of those podcasts includes the Mets podcast Amazing But True, which he co-hosts with former Mets pitcher Nelson Figueroa. Make sure to subscribe and listen to that podcast. Thanks again, Jake, and can't wait to bring you on Subway to Shea again. Now, on with this week's episode. But first, I want to apologize for not being on. I know I said last week I was on, but I really wasn't. The last time I recorded was, I think two Fridays ago was the last time an episode aired right before the Mets traded for Rich Hill. And I did not do anything last week intentionally waiting for the trade deadline to come and pass. So I said, let me wait. We'll talk about the trade deadline and get into that. And then when I was going to record on Monday, of this week. I had a little bit of technical difficulties. My SD card was corrupted, so I had to go on Amazon and order a new one, order a card reader, and it took a couple days to get here, and I said, let me just wait until this Marlin series is over, and then I will do an episode. And it seems like I have done this intensive purposes for the show, probably for the right time. For the Mets, not so right. Now, I had a rundown set up here about what I was going to talk about, and this was right before the Marlin series started, and this was A Week to Forget. That's what this title of this episode is going to be, A Week to Forget. But now, you can add two weeks. It's two weeks to forget, because the last time I talked to you, the Mets had lost three out of five to the Braves, They lost two out of three to the Reds, and now they've lost, and I can't believe I'm saying this, they've lost three out of four to the Miami Marlins. A Miami Marlins team that traded off all of its assets. A Miami Marlins team that is running just on youngsters right now. And I'm not going to be trashing the Miami Marlins because I think their future is bright. They have a pitching staff that they have brought in that is going to be something to be reckoned with over the next decade. If they can all stay healthy, if they can get offense, 
they will be a force to be reckoned with. Now, the Mets. Before recording this episode, watching the final game against the Marlins, where the Mets left 15 men on base in the first inning, bases loaded, no outs, left them all on base, did not score. What are we doing here, folks? What is this team doing here? Now, I'm not going to break down the games because why relive this over and over again? You saw it. I was on Twitter. We talked about it with each other. And I'm grateful for all of you that comment to me, that uh, send me messages on Twitter. I love talking with you guys. And I know I can't change your mind on your thought process about what this team is doing right now. And I don't intend to. You can judge this team for yourself and you can believe whatever it is that you want. A lot of you think this team is done with already. Still in first place, but they're done. Their season's over. And I'm not going to change your mind. It's okay. That's why we have opinions. Your opinion is you believe that the team is done already. What have they done to change your mind? Nothing at the moment. I know I come off being a little more, how would you say, optimistic. Not always. But this season, I thought this would be the time. New ownership, a change. Let's be optimistic. So I've done that throughout the season. And you know that. In April, when this team was struggling, the offense is going to come around. In May, the team had suffered injuries. Don't worry. Let's see when they come back. Let them get back on track. June and July, they've kind of skated through 500. But we're still in first place. So what was I to complain about at that time? Nothing really. Obviously, they weren't pulling away, which was upsetting. The one constant that this team has suffered through all season long is the abysmal pathetic offense. And yes, I said it, abysmal and pathetic. And I say that because this is a team that I had high hopes for. This offense, I had high hopes for. And maybe I overrated them. Maybe a lot of us Met fans and pundits out there, reporters, uh, insiders, maybe we overrated this offense. Or is it the team is good, the offense is good enough, but the philosophy is awful. And that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the philosophy of this Mets offense is awful. It's swing for the fences or bust. And I don't like seeing that in this type of team. I like balance. You know when I got balance? The 99 team gave me balance. Piazza was power. Alfonso and Olerud got hits. They had a good pitching staff, a good bullpen. Same thing with 2000. You go to 2006 and you got Delgado and Beltran hitting for power, right hitting for power, but also getting base hits. Jose Reyes leading off at the top. Balanced. This is not balanced for some reason. This team is trying to swing for the fences. You know who does that? Pete Alonso. And he does it well. And he's been our best hitter this whole year. But everything else has been a struggle. Guys swinging at sliders that are basically thrown to the dugout. What's the approach? We're supposed to be excited when we see the bases loaded. Not only that, but when we see the bases loaded with nobody out. That's supposed to excite me, but it hasn't this season. Why? Because they can't score with the bases loaded and nobody out. We saw it in the Marlins game. J.D. Davis strikes out. Baez strikes out. Two outs. Pop fly from Conforto. And we're going to get into Conforto a little later. But what's the approach here? I'm not going to put... This all on Luis Rojas. He's not 
to be not faulted at all. But these guys need to hit, and he can't do it for them. But what he can do, and Carlos mentioned this on Twitter, one of my listeners, Carlos, mentioned it, and I know he's always frustrated, but he made a good point. They gotta put these guys in position to succeed. And I also mentioned this on this show tons of time. Put these guys in position to succeed. When I hear that J.D. Davis is still suffering from his hand injury, he's slumping, but he's batting fourth? He's batting cleanup? What are we doing here? McNeil who's been one of our best hitters in the last couple of weeks. He can't run out of ball because his hammy still hurts. Same thing now with Brandon Nimmo. These guys are playing injured. They can't give a full effort. I don't know what's going on with Garrett Sarcina at third base. He's not sending guys over. I know that De La Cruz is a pretty good right fielder, but everything he has not, it's not been just this series. Gary Sarcina has not been sending these guys home. And then we get the bases loaded. They can score unless it's a walk or a wild pitch. To end the game, they had the bases loaded and they couldn't get the ball out of the infield. Drury had an infield single. What is going on here? And this not only falls on the players, the manager, Luis Rojas and his staff, this also falls on the front office. The front office did this. Whether it's Sandy's philosophy or Zach Scott as well, I don't know who it is. But the philosophy for this offense is awful. And they did not help matters at the trade deadline. And that's where this episode was supposed to begin, to talk about the trade deadline. And it fits perfectly right now because the Mets did make a trade. They traded for Javi Baez, all-star shortstop from the Chicago Cubs. Now, if you are following my Twitter banter, I was actually on my way to the Friday night blackout game. And as soon as I was leaving, the Mets made the trade for Javi Baez. And I was excited about it. They traded for Javi Baez and pitcher Trevor Williams, and they traded away Pete Crow Armstrong. Now, obviously, Pete Crow is one of our top 10, or he was one of our top 10 prospects. And I've said in the past, you need to give to get. And all they gave up was Pete Crow Armstrong. And this is a guy that when I mentioned, hey, who should the Mets keep when it comes to prospects? I didn't hear too many of you guys mention Pete Crow Armstrong. So I assumed that you were okay with this trade. And I thought it was a good trade. I was excited about it. Now, the caveat to that was I was excited because I thought that that was not the only trade that was going to be made at the trade deadline. This team, obviously it needs hitting from what we've seen. But if you were to tell me that this was the only trade we were going to make, I would have said you were crazy. Because what did I say we've been needing for the longest time? Pitching, pitching, and more pitching. Whether it's starting pitching or relief pitching, we needed it. And Trevor Williams is not enough. Rich Hill wasn't enough. I liked the trade for Rich Hill. I thought it was a good trade. And I think he's pitching well. But he wasn't enough. I've said multiple times... We need to act like Carlos Carrasco and Noah Syndergaard are not going to be on this team this year because we don't know how healthy they're going to be. But the Mets did not do enough. Obviously, the price tag on Berrios was too much. I would not have given them what they were asking for. They were getting a little crazy. The Kenta Maeda trade that added Josh Donaldson to the mix I may have thought twice about doing that one because we were not going to get Max Scherzer, who was the guy that I wanted. He didn't want to come to New York, and that's fine. He wanted to go win a championship with the Dodgers. They want to create a super team out there, and that's what they're doing. They've also signed Cole Hamels. But the Mets could not 
come into the second half because if you've seen the new rule, you cannot now trade after the trade deadline. There's no trading in August anymore, like how we got Addison Reed. Those days are over. Now, you have the one trade deadline and that's it. So, by the Mets only making that one move, they didn't really improve much because Javi Baez was brought in here to play short until Francisco Lindor comes back. And then they'll move him to second or third, or I don't even know how they're going to put this lineup together. And I I, I wouldn't want to be the one because you have McNeil now playing well at second. You're going to move him again now to third. And if you're moving him to third, why isn't he playing at third now? I don't know what this team is doing. They didn't do enough. The trade deadline was incomplete for Zach Scott and a little bit of a disappointment. You know what? No, it's been very much a disappointment. They should have done more, and they didn't. Now, I don't know if it was Zach Scott or Sandy Alderson said they wanted to, they just made this trade to make sure that the players know that they're not giving up on the season, but they didn't do enough. It wasn't enough. And then on top of that, about a few minutes after the trade deadline ends, and that's the only trade that's made, we find out that Jacob deGrom is now out until September. So now, on top of me saying you can't count on Carlos Carrasco and Noah Syndergaard right now, because those two are going to have to be treated with kid gloves, the same thing now applies to your ace, Jacob deGrom. And we'll get a little more into deGrom in a few minutes. But was the trade enough to win the division? Maybe. We don't know now because the Mets are in a free fall. They're only one game up on the Phillies who have gotten hot. Are they going to go far in the playoffs? I want to be optimistic and say yes, but I don't think so. They're not better than the Dodgers. They're not better than the Padres. They're not better than Milwaukee. The good thing about the West is that those three teams are going to have to face off the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Padres. They're going to face off in the wildcard round and in the division series. And only one team is going to come out from that. Like I said, I was very excited on Twitter for this trade at the time. But that was contingent with the fact that they were going to make another move. Incomplete and disappointed is how I felt. It felt like, I don't know about you, but it felt like to me, they made a splash just to make a splash. Since the teams that are above them, the Padres, the Dodgers, the Giants, all made moves to solidify their spot in the playoffs and make a championship run. The Mets didn't do that. Even the Phillies and the Braves, they both made moves. The Mets could have used Kyle Gibson, Did they reach out? I don't know. I know the Phillies gave up one of their best prospects, but did the Mets reach out? Like, what was going on? Obviously, they needed hitting. But I said for the longest time that pitching was the most important thing they needed. And to come away with only Trevor Williams and Rich Hill, it just wasn't enough. Those two guys could be a good four or five at best. But when they got Hill, I was under the impression that more work was going to be done. And Hill is a solid pitcher. It's just, he's up there in age. He's not going to give you innings. And we already have enough pitchers that do the same thing. I also said earlier before the trade deadline that the way they look for pitching at the trade deadline will determine to me the severity of the injuries to this rotation. But it totally did not go that way at all. I thought if DeGrom was seriously hurt, that the Mets would go for an A-type ace. If he wasn't that serious, we would get maybe a three or four, 
But to come away with just a fourth or fifth starter and a guy that now has been sent to the minor leagues, when are we going to see Trevor Williams? And it wasn't easy to get a pitcher, but they had to do something. If they were seriously thinking about contending for a title, they needed to make a big move, and they didn't. And on top of that, like I mentioned, Jacob deGrom out until September. And that kind of took me out of Friday night's game. I was excited. They made the bias trade. Was a little upset that they didn't do more. But figured, you know what, we're going to have DeGrom coming back. He did a bullpen session the day before. And then I read on Twitter that he's out until September with right forearm inflammation. And that kind of just killed my night. The black jersey thing, which I enjoyed. I mean, they lost that game. They didn't play well. They weren't hitting again. But it's such a huge blow. Anytime you hear DeGrom going to be out, you know, he's the linchpin of the rotation. He's the linchpin of the team. He's the leader. He goes and the Mets go. But now, on top of DeGrom, you have now Carrasco, who's pitched well in his two games back, but he's going to have to be, you know, held with kid gloves. Syndergaard's going to have to be held with kid gloves. And I didn't even mention Tyler McGill. He's not used to pitching this many innings, and neither is Taiwan Walker. All of them are going to have to be handled with kid gloves, which leaves Stroman, who's pitched pretty well. I know his record doesn't show it, but he has pitched very well. He's been the most reliable pitcher outside of of Jacob deGrom. And I can count on Rich Hill to do the same thing. I have the most confidence in those two. And as games go on, if Carrasco continues to pitch well, he might enter that. But you still have to be careful. He had a tear in his hip. And that's why I said earlier not to count on these guys. We have to go in thinking that we're not going to count on these guys. And it feels like I don't want to go back to the Wilpon era, but it feels like that kind of a thought process where you're hoping for these guys to come back from injury and that's your trade that you just made. Or they're signed guys that they have hope for. That's not the way that, you know, winning teams go about these things. And they should not have done that. It's been a very disappointing two weeks for this Met team. Very disappointing. And to add insult to injury, they didn't sign their number one prospect, Kumar Rocker. They didn't even offer him a deal. There were issues with his medicals, concerned about his arm, um, the good thing is they will get the 11th pick next year as compensation. I really am not going to go too far into this. I don't know much about the MLB draft and how it works or the signings. So I don't want to deceive you in your thought process of what went down. Both sides are probably to blame. Why did the Mets draft him knowing that he fell to 10 over arm issues? Why would you do that? They were taking a chance, but I don't know if I would do that thinking back, revisionist history, there is one thing that I can tell you from the bottom of my heart. I will never, ever trust Scott Boris or anything that comes out of his mouth. He is a salesman, and that is all. I also don't know how much I trust the Mets medical team. Don't know how much that plays into this issue, but they were checking his medicals, and the Mets haven't been great at that. If we've seen over the past, we've seen this year. So I don't want to judge until the full story comes out on this. I'm going to hold my judgment till then, and I think you should do the same. The Mets have done well drafting. They have uh, Thanos and Tramada uh, doing a good job bringing in these players. So I am not going to destroy this right now. I I'm not the biggest fan of prospects. I would trade them, you know, to to do whatever we'd have to do to win a championship. Like I was saying before the trade deadline, you got to give to get. And, you know, prospects are a dime a dozen. 
So I wasn't really focusing too much on that. So I want to just, right now, I just want to save my judgment until I hear this full story about what happened with the Mets not signing Kumar Rocker. So yeah, it's been a frustrating two weeks. What this team needs to do moving forward. I mean, can the offense finally show up? Can they snap out of it? Can they hit consistently? You know, the poster boy for this is Michael Conforto. He has been awful this season. And this is really the first time I'm going at Conforto because if you know me and if you've been listening to this show since the beginning, you know how much I defended Michael Conforto and how I thought he should have signed the contract over Francisco Lindor. I thought they should have signed him first. And now I'm being proven as an idiot because he has been terrible offensively. He needs to wake up. And it needs to start now. He needs to salvage these last two months. He's definitely not getting the contract he thought he was. He is lucky enough that he might get a qualifying offer. But, Mets fans, do you think that getting a draft pick is worth giving Conforto an opportunity at possibly making 20 mil with a qualifying offer? I don't know. I got to think about that. And if he wants to get somewhat of a decent contract, he needs to hit the last two months. Put all of this behind. Everything that he's done so far this season, put it behind him. He needs to put it behind him. And if he can hit the last two months and lead this team to a division title, it won't fully get rid of that stench that's been attached to him, but it will help. And if he doesn't hit, then I'm sorry. He needs to ride the bench because enough people on this roster and enough people in the lineup enough of these players are not hitting Luis Rojas needs to do what he did when Ahmed Rosario wasn't playing well he benched him and he started playing Andres Jimenez who was hot the entire season he played very well who knows maybe it'll light a fire under Michael Conforto kind of the same way it did to James McCann when he got platooned with Tomas Nito something's got to give for this offense we are now into August And this team still swings at some of the crappiest pitches I've seen. And I'm no baseball player, but watching this, it's junk. It's trash. It's pathetic. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And I'm not going to be told, oh, well, you should really support the guys. I've been supporting this team the entire season. Every day, I've been saying, let's move on to the next game. Let's move on to the next game. Oh, they lost this game. Let's move on to the next game. Tomorrow's a new day. And you know what? After this episode's done, I'm going to relax, forget about this game, and move on to the Philly series. Because the Mets have an opportunity here to turn things around. They can reshift this momentum if they can play well this series. One at a time. Win Friday night's game, then worry about Saturday, then worry about Sunday. But they got to get going. They got to start hitting. This is getting ridiculous to this point. It's almost like I don't want to watch the offense. I'll just watch the pitching side. Whenever they're on the field, I'd rather watch. Because the offense, you know, they'll start off very well. They'll load the bases, and then they're done for about five or six innings. They let the pitcher off the hook, and a lot of these guys are no names. Like, what is going on? Where's the fire? I posted that tweet of Terry Collins. Can we get some of that energy out of Luis Rojas? I know he's one of those even-keel guys, but I want to see energy out of Luis Rojas. And not on one of these wrong calls where he gets thrown out of the game for arguing something that he's totally wrong on. No, a lot of fire under this team. They got to do something. Something's got to give. I don't know how they're going to change this hitting approach, but something has to give. 
they can't continue to go on like this for the rest of the season. Because by the time Francisco Lindor, by the time Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, by the time these guys come back, they could be out of contention. This team that they play, this Marlins team, they needed to win this series. They have 11 games coming up against a barren Nationals team, a team that traded away everybody. They literally traded away everybody except for Juan Soto. And I said they need to sweep all 11 games. Now I don't even know if they can do that because they couldn't take three out of four from the Marlins. They couldn't split the series with the Marlins. What am I supposed to expect when they play the Nationals now? Because the Nationals have nothing to lose. The Marlins had nothing to lose. And the Mets have everything to lose. The Mets have everything to lose from here on out. Now they go to play the Phillies. And then we get that lovely week to two week span of playing the Giants and the Dodgers. And I said to myself, I'm not even going to think about having a winning record against those two teams. If they came off with a 500 record playing those teams, I would have thought that that was an accomplishment. But I don't even know now. This team has not shown any fight in them. And I obviously they are playing hard and they're trying hard to play, but I don't see any fight in them. It's different when Francisco Lindor is on the field, isn't it? He hasn't been the greatest hitter, but he's the emotional leader. He leads by example, going to talk to the pitchers. He leads on the field. We need him back in the lineup. And this team, until he comes back, needs to find something to light a fire in their ass. What happened to LFGM? Where's that been? Wake up, guys. Wake up. Because by the end of this weekend, by the end of the weekend, by the end of the series against the Philadelphia Phillies, this team could be finally out of first place. And there's no more excuses. Oh, well, you know, they're still in first place. So, you know, let's let's hang on for a few minutes. That's going to be gone. It could be gone if they don't play well this weekend. Oh, but the injuries, you know, for most of the second half, they've been playing with a full lineup. They've had one week post-All-Star break where the team was clicking on offense. And what happened? The pitching decided to have their bad week. And I'm not blaming the pitching. The pitching has been solid all year with what they had to deal with. But the offense hasn't showed up all year, except for Pete doing his thing. McNeil finally coming around. These guys need to step up. They need to wake up because this division is on the line. And if they don't kick it into high gear now, if they don't show a little fight, show a little desire that they want this thing, and I'm pretty sure they want it, September could be a rough month if they don't put this together. So all I'm asking is for this team, for this offense to wake up, do whatever you have to do to change this philosophy and get it through get this team through and win the division show yourselves show the management show the front office show the owner show the fans show the city show all of major league baseball that you want this now my final thoughts before this train leaves the station the Mets claim Jake Reed who had a 3.38 ERA 5Ks in 5 and a third innings pitch. I think he came from the Dodgers. I don't know too much about him. I'm going to have to just do a little more research on him. 
They did lose Anthony Banda to the Pirates. He was 1-0 with a 7.36 ERA, 7 Ks, and 7 and a third innings pitched. He had some moments. I thought that on Friday, after he had one really good inning, they should have took him out. And this is what we talked about. Luis Rojas putting this team in position to succeed. And he just, you know, kind of left Anthony Banda astray. Anthony Banda got sent down and he is now got picked up by the Pittsburgh Pirates. One positive out of all of this negativity from me today on this podcast. The Mets Hall of Fame on Saturday was so cool. Congrats to John Matlack, Ron Darling, and Edgardo Alfonso. Legends for this team. And I'm happy to see these guys being honored. Especially Edgardo Alfonso for me. I grew up watching Edgardo Alfonso. I didn't see John Matlack or Ron Darling play. I really feel like Edgardo Alfonso was, I don't want to say underappreciated, but he did so much for this team and in 99, 2000, and he was so clutch, you know, day in, day out. Something that this Mets team currently needs, and Edgardo Alfonso, they could benefit from having him on the team. And, you know, he was so clutch, uh, even in the playoffs, the home run in Cincinnati, in the wild card game, then the two home runs in the division series, that big grand slam, and the home run off of Randy Johnson, and then in 2000, I was at one of the games where he tied up against the Giants, he was just so good, playing second, playing third, I really am happy for him, and I saw that he was emotional, and you know what a well-deserved honor for him, and as well as John Matlack and Ron Darling. Uh, nice to see Ed Cranepool in the house, Mike Piazza, Ray Ordonez also, Carlos Bayerga, and Bobby Valentine all there for the ceremony. It was a awesome night getting to watch that, and who's next? Who do you think's next? I definitely need to see them honor Bobby Valentine. He deserves that. You know, he took the Mets for the first time in franchise history to two back-to-back playoffs and uh, one World Series, and they played very well for him. So I think he needs to be honored. Obviously, Howard Johnson needs to also be honored. He had a wonderful Met career, and he deserves that as well. Sid Fernandez and David Cohn. At some point, I know he had big times with the Yankees winning the World Series, but David Cohn from 88 to, I want to say, I think it was 91, 92, really great pitcher for the Mets, and he deserves an honor too. I think he has somewhere in the 80s, maybe 88 wins for the Mets, but he also deserves an honor too. And speaking about honor, Jerry Kuzman's number to be retired on August 28th. You know, we always talk about Tom Seaver, but Jerry Kuzman was just as important to that 1969-1973 team and to that pitching staff for such a long time. And he's finally getting his long overdue. His number will be retired on August 28th. And that wraps up this show. Please take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better for you each and every week. You could do that on Apple Podcasts. You can rate the show one to five stars. Hopefully you're giving me five stars, which means you like the show. And then leave a comment. I would appreciate that. And um, I thank you for listening in. Um, I thank you for being a part of this podcast with me because we are a Mets family, and um, I love talking baseball with you guys. So you can follow the show on Twitter 
at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. You can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. This podcast is available on the HSP Network. Catch me alongside podcasts like The Bullpen with DA, Third Floor Lounge, which covers the NFL and NBA, Sus Talk, and their flagship show, the High Spot Podcast, which covers all things professional wrestling. Just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash highspotpodcast and make sure to subscribe today. Well, that will do it for this week's podcast. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go, Mets. Get this thing back on track. Take care, everyone.